Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Hi, this is David Law and welcome to the Tennis Podcast. Tennis tour moves surfaces from clay to grass. It's time to look back on the year's second Grand Slam, assess our predictions, and look ahead to the third. Catherine Whitaker and I will talk to Michael Chang, the youngest ever French Open champion. We'll talk about the Aegon Championships at Queens, and I might just get a bit emotional. So we're here talking to you on Sunday night from inside the bowels of the Queen's Club, home of the Aegon Championships, where qualifying is complete, the main draw is set, and the grass court season is just about to begin. There's just one minor thing that we hadn't bargained for. The French Open hasn't finished yet. Rafael Nadal leads Novak Djokovic two sets to one, but Djokovic is up a break in the third, Catherine Whitaker, yeah. Finally poised. I think the most crucial... Uh crucial part of what you just said is two sets to one, which means that Rafael Nadal has lost a set in this championships for the first time. Yeah, and? And I think somebody predicted that he wouldn't wouldn't lose a set at all. In fact, somebody staked his reputation on that very fact. Is that not the case? No, don't, doesn't ring any bells whatsoever, that. Um, all right, yeah, okay. Well, listen, let, let me just, let's just backtrack a little bit. I was the one who said that Rafael Nadal would not drop a set at all during the French Open Championships. Um, In an attempt to redeem yourself after predicting that Serena would win the uh, the ladies' title. <laughs> yeah, and until about two hours ago, I was really looking good, really looking good. Rafael Nadal led two sets to love. He was two love up in the third. He's the greatest French Open champion of all time. He's won six in total, and he lost six games in a row I don't really have an explanation for that I think possibly the conditions was, were getting heavier and that, that is, certainly doesn't suit his game when the balls the, when the balls are getting a bit heavier but uh, what, what's your explanation for that it was weird it was I, I think he started to get a little bit rattled quite quite honestly by Djokovic rattled um, nervous as I th- well I th- maybe nerves but I think probably the conditions actually I mean it was it, it was interesting as the rain fell he was starting to talk about the way the balls were fluffing up and getting you know caked in clay and you know you would have thought this is perfect for a guy like him but he just he he, he wanted to get it over with as quickly as he possibly could I think that's there's a mentality isn't there when, when a player is nearing the finish line, the thought that they might have to come back the next day. And I mean, you know, we've got colleagues in Paris at the moment saying 
well, actually, the weather forecast is rubbish tomorrow and exactly. Tuesday. And that wouldn't have escaped them either. They would have, uh, even if they hadn't looked up the forecast themselves, they would have heard the whispers about what the forecast was like and would have known, you know, every rain delay, every, you know, drop of rain pushed them a step to closer towards a Monday final and people are already talking about a Tuesday final. Have, and we, I, have we ever had a Monday final before? It's funny you should ask that, David. The, the last Monday final from the French Open... Uh, was in 1973. The year I was born. You were born. Yeah, it was Ilya Nastasi that won. Uh, it was his first French Open, but his last Grand Slam. Isn't Wikipedia a wonderful thing? <laughs> it's also usually inaccurate. So we hope we got that <laughs> stat right. Um, I can certainly tell you I was born that year. Uh, and uh, yes, apparently there was a, a Monday final back then. So uh, Long time ago, though, considering US Opens had... Not that long. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, two players going for history here, isn't it? I mean, it is, it is a wonderful time to be, well, following tennis, watching tennis, and for us, an absolute privilege to be working in tennis and see two players like Nadal and Djokovic. You've got Nadal trying to break the great Bjorn Borg's record of six, well, he ties it, doesn't he, currently, six French Open titles, and Djokovic could own them all at the same time. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's Every Grand Slam, it seems to be that they're not just competing for a Grand Slam title they're also competing to make some kind of uh, create an amazing piece of history as well which is it's incredibly special it's a special time in tennis I think it is it was a special time as well a couple of days ago it was yesterday wasn't it when um, another of your predictions came correct when uh, Maria Sharapova won the title and uh, so Catherine is just storming it on the predictions uh, front at the moment. Well, and you also said Nadal would win the title. That one wasn't exactly a very brave one. But Sharapova was an impressive one, and it was an impressive performance, wasn't it? Because I have to say, if somebody had told me any point over the last six years that Sharapova would win the French Open, I think I, would, I wouldn't have believed that. No, it, it's funny. That's obviously because movement isn't the strongest part of her game. She's obviously a very tall girl, um, and she didn't grow up on the clay, but and and she's had it. She's had. I've heard people saying on Twitter that you know she didn't have the best players in the world to beat. You know she didn't have to play the quarterfinal against Serena Williams, but she beat what was in front of her. She beat. She, I I I think, I think she had had to play Serena in the quarters. I think she would have won. I think she looked like a worthy winner. Yesterday. I think it would be churlish from anybody to, to deny her or, or try to, you know, do down her achievement there. Because, I mean, she has now won all four Grand Slam titles as well. I mean, that is an extraordinary achievement from her. And, and, and I think it shows great perseverance because I, I, I vividly remember uh, Jeff Tarango, who, who had worked with her behind the scenes in California and hit with her a lot, really wondering whether that shoulder injury would ever heal sufficiently to, for her to be able to contend again. This is probably three years ago. And I think we were all wondering whether she was finished. And the fact that she has shown, I mean, and she doesn't need the money, she doesn't need the, the attention, she's already got three Grand Slams at different tournaments under her belt. To come back and get back to the top like that and be world number one again, Have, I think having, is one of the great achievements. Having completely remodelled her serve, which mm. is which is quite some achievement. Um, I, I agree. I think it's uh, I think it's a staggering achievement, really, and it she is. deserves all the plaudits she's uh, she's receiving. So, congratulations to Maria Sharapova from all of us both on the tennis podcast. And I think we need a, a final prediction, don't we, for tomorrow's match: Djokovic or Nadal? Any any change to the uh, to the prediction? Two sets to one, Nadal. 
uh, a breakdown in the fourth. I'm still going for Rafa. I, I really, really strongly believe, no matter what the circumstances, even if he, even if Djokovic does get this set, I just, I, I just can't see it. I don't, this is Rafa's title. However, I'm not so sure. Are you re- oh, really? I'm not so sure. It's intriguing. Does does that maybe, mean? Does maybe, that maybe, maybe, maybe Nadal's just going to start to remember those matches from last year. Six big matches, lost a lot. But Djokovic might year. remember it too. He was. They were. Djokovic is on the cusp of history. So is Nadal. Yes, but I don't know. I don't know. I agree. Nadal's going to win. Anyway, I think it's time we spoke to our special guest here on the Tennis Podcast in Episode 3. Catherine and I spoke to Michael Chang, who in 1989 shocked the tennis world as a 17-year-old against the backdrop of the Tiananmen Square massacre. He became the youngest winner of the French Open in Roland Garros history. And Chang told us that his youth actually helped him. You know, I think that... You know, for me, being 17 years old, I think that to, to some degree, um, you know, obviously you're still, to be on tour is still relatively new. It was my, my sophomore year on tour, and, and uh, you know, even the French Open in 89, it was, um, you know, very much a dream tournament. It was very, very much a fairy tale tournament. But at the same time, I think because you're so young, you don't really kind of re- realize um, what's actually taking place over, over that fortnight there in Paris. Um, and I think it wasn't until, you know, I had some time to reflect, um, and then obviously, you know, the situation in Tiananmen Square is going on, and, and uh, the crackdown happened the middle Sunday of, of the French Open that year. Um, you know, all of a sudden, you're starting to put all these, you know, pieces together, and you start to realize, you know, first off, you're not expected to win. Uh, I certainly did not expect to win, but, um, you know, God had a greater plan in that, and, um, you know, I've often told people, I feel like it's a a tournament that uh, you know was kind of meant to be, uh, just to put a smile upon Chinese people's faces around the world during a time when there wasn't a whole lot to smile about. Um, you know, and I, I, I drew from a lot of uh, um, a lot of courage. Um, you know, watching the events unfold uh, on TV, and um, you know, it, it makes uh, uh, it makes going out there and fighting for a tennis match seem like nothing when when they're out there fighting for their um, their freedom and their own democracy. So. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, since that time, I've always had a very, um, uh, you know, special heart for, for China and, uh, and still do to this day. And, of course, you did have to fight in that tournament. I mean, the, some of the situations you had mm-hmm. to extricate yourself from, yeah. particularly against Lendl, that match remains in so many people's mind. How do you look back on taking on one of the great play court players and, 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 and finding a way to win? Well, I think that uh, you know Yvonne is uh, is is such a champion, um, and I have nothing but the utmost respect for him. And and I probably actually had more respect for him um, after the French Open because you know after our match, I, I did not see him until until Wimbledon, in, um, you know a couple of weeks later there in London, and uh, you know we we saw each other, and and the first thing he did was he walked straight up to me put his hand out, shook my hand, and says, Michael, congratulations. You know, it was a great effort there at the French. And, and you know, that's not an easy thing to do for, for someone who's ranked number one in the world. He's a three-time, you know, French Open champion. And to lose to, you know, a 17-year-old kid under those circumstances is not easy, you know, much less to be able to come up there and, and, and uh, you know, put aside his, his own pride and be able to say, hey, you know, that's a great, great effort. I mean, that's, that shows me, um, you know, that... Uh, 
uh, you know, he's a gentleman off the court um, and, and a warrior on the court. Everybody knows that he's a, a warrior and a champion and a fighter on the court, um, but I think people don't see that, that other side of, of Yvonne. So, um, you know, for me it was uh, an honor to play against him and, um, you know, something that, uh, you know, I think in many ways, um, uh, you know, will we'll go down as, as you know, really a, a, a great, you know, part of the, the testament of my, of my career. Um, you know, without that match or without the, the French Open in 89, you know, I think the, um, it's, it's a whole new ballgame. We then asked Michael at what point he started to believe that he could go all the way in Paris. I remember having a, uh, an interesting conversation with Jose and, and uh, you know, we were working so hard down in, in Palm Springs and, and I asked Jose, I said, oh, you know, Jose, well, how, do you, how do you think I'll do? You know, in this year's French, and he says, "Well, you know, if you're able to to win a few rounds and stuff like that, I think uh, you know maybe get to the you know round of 16 or quarters. I think that would be a great accomplishment." And I don't know whether I was just young or or whether just you know being kind of um, you know a little bit young, a little bit naive, and I was just like, "Well, you know, I wanted, I almost kind of like wanted you know my coach to say, hey, you know, go out and win it, you know, go out and try to win.'" And I was like, and I said to him, I said, "Well, why not winning it?" And he kind of looked at me, and, and, and uh, I think he was just, you know, being realistic, and, and I was just kind of, you know, throwing it out there. He's like, well, you know, maybe well, maybe one year, you know, you, you never know, but I think to realistic goals, you know, um, you know, maybe around a 16, you know, quarters and stuff like that. And I was kind of like took it, and I, I was kind of disappointed. I kind of wanted him to, to say a little bit more, but, uh, you know, at the time, I, you know, going into um, – um, you know, Paris. I was uh, ranked 19 in the world. A couple guys didn't show, so I ended up uh, being seated uh, 15. And um, you know, drew drew Lendl in the uh, round of 16. And uh, you know, the, all the matches uh, from there on out were just um, you know really played on uh, on inspiration. And um, uh, you know, many aspects are you know different. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Difficult to uh, to explain, but um, you know, I almost feel that there was a... Uh, there was a divine purpose in, in uh, what was going on there. I've heard you, you talk quite a lot about um, 
what it's like being a, a teenager on on the tour and one of the only teenagers on the right. tour and and how you've said yourself you kind of forget what normal is talk me through how how difficult an experience that a wonderful experience in many ways but how how difficult that can be yeah i mean it's uh you know i first when i came out on tour uh you know everybody was in their 20s and 30s i was actually pretty thankful that my mom came and travel with me from the first four years of my career um i couldn't drive i couldn't have a they didn't give you credit cards back then if they were, if you were that young so i was just kind of helpless um it was tough to to get around and you know being a little bit more introverted it's hard for me to to go up to a player and say hey you know can you warm me up for my match you know he's a little 15 year old kid coming and say hey can you warm me up for my match so uh, it was great to have my mom with me because my mom is, um, you know, extremely personable. Uh, she gets to know everybody, and you know, she had no problem walking up to Jimmy Connors and say, "Hey, you know, can you hit with Michael, you know, tomorrow?" And I'm just kind of like, "What are you doing? You know, what are you doing? Are you crazy? You know?" But she, that's you know, the that's her personality, and um, you know, she made so many friends out on tour, and uh, and even to to this day, I mean, I. You know, I, I come out and play on the Champions Tour. You know, one of the first questions that a lot of the players will ask me is, hey, how you, how's your mom doing? You know, they don't care how I'm doing. It's just, how's your mom doing? You know, so, um, you know, that made it really, really easy for me. And uh, I got a chance to know, um, you know, a lot of people and, and uh, befriend people and uh, certainly made, um, you know, being out on tour, uh, even as a, a young teenager, um, a lot easier. And then, um, you know, then the next couple, next few years, you know, um, you know, Pete turned pro, uh, you know, Courier turned pro, uh, you know, Goron came on tour, Fabrice came on tour, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, I wasn't the, the lone teenager out there anymore. So it was nice to have some of the young guys, uh, you know, out there, um, you know, playing as well. And you personally, I mean, life has changed a lot since since you were playing professional tennis. How mm-hmm. has married life changed you? How is how are you enjoying this phase of your yeah, life? Yeah, it's been, um, you know, married life has been uh, uh, such a blessing. Um, and then how obviously having a, a daughter now who's almost 15 months has been really, really special. Um, priorities have, have completely shifted. And, um, you know, it's taken some uh, a little bit of getting used to. Um, but, uh, you know, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't trade it for, for anything. And uh, I think in many aspects I'm actually quite thankful um, that I'm enjoying this period of time, uh, you know, post, uh, post-career. Um, I think if I had gotten married maybe while I was on tour or, or um, you know, had, uh, had kids while I was on tour, I think it would be very, very difficult. So it's nice to be able to have the, the freedom and flexibility in my schedule to be able to spend time with family and, and, um, and be able to, um, you know, um, take care of my wife and, uh, and watch my daughter grow. When you were 17, you broke through and won, won the French Open, and, and Becca did, did the same with winning Queens and then going on to win Wimbledon. Could you ever see that happening again, or do you think those were very much just one-offs? I think it's... I mean, it's difficult to say. Um, you know, records are kind of made to be broken, you know, and, you know, obviously it'd be nice for it not to be broken, but uh, I, think it's, I think it's more difficult now than it, than it was back then. And I have to say that I think a lot of it because of the technology of the rackets and the strings and how physical um, men's tennis is now. I mean, I just don't see necessarily um, a 17-year-old having the physical strength to compete with, uh, you know, with men that are, that are uh, you know, 
as strong and as powerful and as much as the technology allows them to be uh, to be able to come through. That being said, I don't think it you know it's possible. It's possible. Um, but back uh, you know back in my time, you, know, you have myself. Um, you know, Boris was 17. Mats Vlander was 17. So um, you know. I think uh, you had a little bit less power, a little less physical to deal with back then, and uh, a little bit more ball movement, strategic, and 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 um, a little bit more of that kind of tennis. Uh, but nowadays, I mean, it's it's pretty tough, um, you know. So uh, it's possible, it's possible, but um, you know, a lot more difficult now. I think. I know this is a horrible question to hit anybody with, but I'm going to do it anyway. Who, in your opinion, is the greatest ever? That's a really tough question to, to answer. I, I've been asked that question. I almost kind of feel like, you know, you almost have to divide it almost into like certain uh, certain periods of time in, in tennis. Um, you know, because I feel like the, the technology and all that has really, um, you know, uh, kind of changed, uh, I think, in just, I don't know, it's, it's, it's tough to say. I mean, you've, you've got a, you know, a Roger Federer who's accomplished so much. You've got uh, a Rafa Nadal that's, uh, that's, has accomplished so much, is still accomplishing a lot. You know, Novak is, is almost seems like he's just starting out his career, even though he's been on tour for a little while. Then you've got, uh, you know, the greats of the past, you know, Pete, um, you know, having, you know, won so many Grand Slams, and you've got the, the great champions of, uh, of um, you know, Roy Emerson and, and Rod Laver winning two, you know, Grand Slams, calendar year Grand Slams, I mean, is, um, is just phenomenal. So, uh, Would it help if I rephrase the question to who is the most naturally talented tennis player of all time? Would that be easier to I think if you're going to say the most naturally gifted tennis player of all time, I think it would be difficult to not say Roger Federer. And the reason why I say that is because I don't know of other any other player that I can think of that is as complete as he is uh, in his game and is as fluid as, as he is in his game. And I think that's part of the reason why not only has he been such a great champion in the tennis aspect, but probably one of the reasons why he's been able to play throughout his career almost injury-free, which is which is just unheard of at that top-level tennis. I mean, it's just, uh, um, you know, uh, it's just ridiculous. Um, you know, guys that play a little bit more, you know, physical, uh, uh, you know, somebody like a Ruff or, or Novak, I mean, they're, they're dealing with aches and pains here. But, you know, Roger just kind of flows on through and, and uh, you know, it's just beautiful to watch uh, unless you're playing against him. So, um, you know, I think if, if that was the question, uh, I think it would be Roger Federer. So there he is, Michael Chang, and he's a gentleman, isn't he, Catherine? He's somebody we've we both got the chance to speak to there, and he's completely without ego. Completely without ego. He's so mild-mannered. He's so kind. It's amazing to sort of look at him and speak to him and think, how did you have the the ruthlessness and that that cutting edge that you need to be a uh, a champion tennis player? It, 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 he obviously did have it on the court and. Uh, it's a credit to him that he's such a gentleman off the court as well. It really is. I hope you enjoyed listening to Michael Chang. We certainly enjoyed talking to him. It never quite happened for him on the grass, did it? And and I think back then it was particularly more difficult because the grass was that much faster. He would probably have, have got on quite well these days, wouldn't he? Well, I mean, in many ways you could see Leighton Hewitt as a sort of successor to, to Michael Chang. Um, 
certainly with his movement on the court and Leighton winning in 2002, which is the year that sort of most people it's the cite as the... Year, wasn't it? Exactly, yeah. So, um, yeah, who knows? It'd be interesting to see um, 1989 Michael Chang playing Wimbledon 2012, wouldn't yeah, it? That's right. And on the subject of Leighton Hewitt, he is here at the Aegon Championships at the Queen's Club and he's up against Ivo Karlovic, the man who beat him as the defending champion in I the 2003 that. Wimbledon and here we have the rematch tomorrow it's brilliant what a draw can throw up isn't it that is going to be fascinating yeah it is and I always love seeing those two at the net and sort of Leighton staring at Kolovich's navel and I love that Leighton still tries to drop uh, to lob him as well that's just fantastic he almost deliberately drop shots him doesn't he just to get <laughs> yeah. the chance to, to and he is probably one of the best lob experts in 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 recent history Leighton Hughes oh yeah absolutely it's going to be a fascinating draw here at the Aegon Championships. I should give a, a small disclaimer. We do actually work for this tournament, which is why we're sitting here in the, the media centre, Catherine and I. So if we don't mention Haller that much, that's why. But, uh, of course, that tournament is going on, a, on the grass as well. Roger Federer is over there, uh, and Rafael Nadal might get there if they ever finish that French Open final. But we, we've got a cracker here at the Queen's Club, we feel, uh, in that we've got Andy Murray, the defending champion. He's going to be starting probably we suspect against Nicola Mahou who uh, reached the final here in 2007 Andy Roddick's been out on the grass hitting away we've got some other cracking players here such as Marcus Bagdatis Janko Tipsarevic Joe Wilfred Songer of course who set the place alight here last year and for us I mean we, we are biased Catherine because as I said I've worked here for 17 years you've been here for for a number as well it's a pretty special place to us though isn't it yeah every year it it, it feels uh, it feels very special coming back I, of course, of course, I'm biased, you're biased, and it's difficult to, to separate our feelings for the tournament from that. But everybody that comes here does say that this is, this is a special one. You know, the players, the fans, everybody, it, it's got something about it that you perhaps can't quite put your finger on, but it, it just, it's, it's a special week in, in the tennis calendar, I think. So we have happy memories of this place, and I'm afraid I might be about to get a little bit dewy-eyed as we reminisce about more than 30 years of this great event with John McEnroe, Jimmy Connors, Boris Becker, Pete Sampras, Tim Henman, Andy Murray, Leighton Hewitt and Andy Roddick. You know, I had a great run. I got into seven finals in a row there, so it was a great st stepping stone for uh, me to get ready for Wimbledon. I love playing here, and, and uh, the tournament certainly has grown and become really a spectacular event. It was uh, my most successful tournament I ever played. I won it four times. I reached a couple of finals, and you always remember your first tournament victory on the Pro Tour, and mine was at the Queen's Club. After Paris, you just enjoy kind of getting off the clay onto a surface that you love, and it was a great event and just just loved it just loved the whole month and loved finishing it off at Wimbledon. I love the tournament beautiful tournament well organized a great atmosphere always full great grass but I was always hoping I would do better but I never did better it's more sort of my home tournament than uh, than even perhaps Wimbledon because I used to practice there for a large part of my career so uh, the, the surroundings are so familiar, the best grass courts in the world and uh, it is the ideal preparation for, for SW19. 
it's a different atmosphere to a lot of the other tournaments because it's right in the middle of you know a lot of houses and you know it seems like the last thing you'd find there is tennis tournaments. So that's definitely one of my favourite parts of the year. And they put on a, a wonderful event there, some of the best grass courts in the world, in, in my opinion, and uh, you know, it's a privilege to play there. Any place where you have great memories is always going to hold a special place in your heart but you know everything about this this club and even the the narrow hallways and the the tradition and you know the way they kind of celebrate their their past champions here and you know to be a small part of that is a pretty great feeling ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 